0: All right. Well, good morning. Um, like I said earlier, it's, it's definitely very, very uh, nice and refreshing to be able to change things up here and to have such great volunteers to fall back on is, is such a gift. And uh, today, not only do I get to kind of change gears and, and be part of teaching, But today is also my middle son, Ethan. It's his sixth birthday today, July 31st. Uh, He, we're going to to family night tonight, Packers family night tonight. So I'm pretty sure that he probably thinks that like all of that's for his birthday. And I am okay letting him believe that. All of this is for you, buddy. Fireworks and the Packers come out just for your birthday. well, we've been in uh, this series that is so—it's been so fascinating. It really has. Um, you know, I, I uh, grew up in a Christian home, heard a lot about Jesus. Uh, went to school for uh, Christian education and got a degree in that. And I'll be honest: preparing for today and just over the last few weeks. I man, I'm learning stuff. I'm learning stuff about about God. I'm learning stuff about, you know, the timeline of things. I'm learning things about, uh, you know, the, the way these these books came together. It's been it's been really good. And so I hope that it's been encouraging for you, too. And I do have to give you kind of a little bit of a it's a, it's a good thing that uh, that my my wife Harper is on staff here and that we've got people that speak into the program like Harper and, and Jen, and every week there's lots of voices that make what happens here happen. Uh, because I was going to have pose a question to you guys, uh, you know, for your, you know, little, we call it think-pair-share of talking, you know, Jen said, hey, what did you do this summer? What fun things are you doing? I was going to ask you, what lie have you believed? That's what I was going to have you guys talk about. And so luckily they were kind of like, ah, it's a little dark. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe not to kick off the, the sermon that way. So let's. What'd you do this summer? Yay! <laughs> so be thankful that I mean, <laughs> you didn't have to do that. Uh, it was going to be what lie have you either told or or heard? What the most significant lie? So anyway, maybe maybe afterwards you can talk about that. But uh, uh, so today we are going to be talking about the general letters of the Bible, and so I'm really kind of calling this part two to last week. Troy talked about the. Um, the, the the missionary journeys of Paul the Pauline letters that he wrote to churches because there was whether it was just for encouragement or just the crazy stuff that was going on in the churches he wrote these letters to kind of keep them on track and to give them encouragement and uh, we're going to be moving into the general letters and it's it's kind of it's it's I'm calling it the general letters plus because we're gonna we're going look at a couple of Paul's letters as well um, should I put this image of last week that just shows you the timeline of when many of these books are written. And it's I know I found it really interesting that, you know, you see that Galatians and James were written about the same time. You know, Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon and Timothy and Titus and First Peter were all written around the same time. And Second Timothy and Jude are written at the same time. Like it's it's they were all very intermingled. Uh, you know, James and, and 2 Peter and First, and 2 and Third John and, and Jude, you know, that's getting towards the end of the Bible. And I think a lot of times we just kind of automatically assume th- that it's chronological, and it's not. They were very much all in cahoots together. And so Paul was actually referencing James and Peter and John when he was writing his letters to the churches. So in Galatians, he even says, James, Cephas, which is Peter, and John, and says a little bit about them, and and then in, uh, remember, Troy was talking about the whole um, circumcision issue, that there's, the Judaizers were infiltrating the churches and saying that you had to be circumcised and follow these Jewish laws in order to be a Christian, and and if you read, uh, I think it's Galatians, where he even says, I consulted those that have gone before me. So he literally went to James and Peter and John and said like hey so I got the circumcision thing that's going on in the churches what should I do about that and they gave him their blessing to then go back and say no it's it's for everyone it's not about the practice so it's just that uh, that kind of stuff is just so fascinating I I kind of liken it to um uh our process here when we put together a message is very open-handed and I think it's a beautiful thing. We get together, there's about 10 of us that get together on Thursday mornings at Kavarna and we have coffee and Troy or myself or whoever is teaching kind of says, here's what I'm thinking about talking about on Sunday. Do you think this is relevant? Is our church body going to respond to this? Is this appropriate? Is this something that's going to work? And we have people both on staff as well as volunteers that 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 just speak into it. And, and so it kind of reminds me of this where it's like, so Paul, you know, he's writing these letters, but he's getting input. He's getting input from other people to, to you know, help move this thing forward. Uh, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's just a very cool cool little process. So anyway, uh, we've got these cards in front of you. I want you to grab them, and we're going we're gonna to start building this thing. So you got some work to do. <laughs> so get your, your pens out. So put a number nine in the corner, just call it general letters, you can put a plus sign after it if you want, general letters plus, plus. and just the overall theme of godly living, and then I want you to make ten, yes ten, ten boxes, and that one little line in bold is not an accident, that's not a, a typo, I want you to kind of make that, that, you know, after that third box, I want you to kind of like go over that a couple times to make that a bold line, and you'll see why in a second. Because those first three boxes, those are the pastoral letters that Paul wrote. So we're going to be uh, looking at how Paul shifted gears a little bit in the way he wrote some of these letters, moving from the ones to the churches to these ones that were to specific people, um, to pastors. And then, and then the general letters. So the general letters are the ones that were not necessarily written to a uh, specific Church, it was written to Christians at large. Um, and we'll look at a little bit of the difference there in just a little bit. So, right away, let's dive in. So, 1 Timothy. So, Timothy is this young dude. He's this young pastor, and he's pastoring Ephesus. If you remember Troy talking about what was going on in Ephesus at the time, that was pretty, that was a crazy setting for this young eager pastor to take on and so paul was probably really wanted to make sure like hey you got a you got a rough job ahead of you this is you got a tough city uh tough place tough job so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm in your corner i'm for you and so he wanted to remind him of his objectives To make sure that the false teaching you know some of the Judaizers and and there was this this new thought that was starting to grow that we're going to talk about a little bit later called Gnosticism these are these ways of thinking that were starting to infiltrate the church and so he was saying make sure you keep that stuff out go back to the truth go back to the source of of what you learned Um, And so he gives a strong warning against false teachers he gives instructions on worship he gives instructions on how to choose an elder and a deacon and an overseer uh, just gives them some life advice, and tells them to make sure that you're caring for people. I mean, this is great stuff for today. I mean, all of uh, all of us pastors, as anybody that's influencing other people, need to be reminded of some of these things. And so, but his main thing was just uh, lead well, just lead well. And Second Timothy. Again, my guess is that it was a rough enough job being in Ephesus with a young enough pastor that was probably making all kinds of mistakes and uh, saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things that (laughs) Paul said, all right, okay, I'm going to write to you again. (laughs) Let's try this again. I'm going to write you another letter to keep you on track. But this one, I I mean, I I speculate about that. I kind of joke about it. But honestly, 2 Timothy is a little bit more of just encouraging him. Just saying, hey, stay strong. I know it's hard. I know it's tough. Be strong and steadfast. And this is also Paul's passing of the torch. For as prolific and amazing of an evangelist as Paul was, I think he also realized, I can't be the only one doing this. There's got to be other leaders that are taking the charge and making sure that the word is getting out, that people are hearing the truth. Because there is enough of these influences that are already starting to make their way in to say, man, if we don't have people that are bought in, that understand the truth, uh, this thing can really get swayed the wrong way. And so he was just pouring into Timothy, saying, stay strong, stay true, remember what you learned. You could do it. You got a tough job, but stay in it. Stick to it. Guard what was entrusted to you. Be strong in grace. There's going to be tougher times coming. Godlessness is right around the corner. And be ready to preach. Because he's, in in 2 Timothy 4, uh, he really charges to be prepared to preach the word in season and out of season. Always being ready to encourage others. And so it's just a good word that he was given to Timothy. Uh, And then Titus. So, Titus, uh, again, is probably this young, um, eager pastor that was uh, uh, a pastor at, on the island of Crete. And so I don't know if that was like a vacation or if that was like, you go over there. <laughs> you go ahead and pastor there and then see how things work out. So he was on the, uh, on the island of Crete pastoring a church. And, but Paul speaks very, very lovingly to him. In fact, he calls him his true son in the faith. So his terms are very endearing. And I got to believe that for his strong of language that Paul uses when he's instructing the churches, and especially when he's instructing these pastors, he loves these guys. He really does. He loves them with his whole heart. He's saying, man, this is so important, especially coming from a guy that once persecuted these very pastors. is now saying, guys... You leading these churches is, the, is our future hope. You're the one that's going to be telling uh, people about the truth of Jesus. And so you're important and you're needed. And so he also gives Titus some instructions about how to choose elders and sound do- doctrine and, and, and sound behavior. And so here we can press pause a little bit. So now we're going to kind of switch gears and get into the general letters. Um, now a couple things just to make note of uh, in in the difference between some of Paul's writing and some of the writing of the general letters Uh, first of all I already said that Paul wrote to specific churches or specific people and he usually wrote to specific purposes or there's uh, specific situations that were going on that he was speaking into uh, that were happening in these churches Uh, James and Peter and uh, John and Jude they wrote more generally meaning it wasn't to a specific church it was to Christians in all churches and so I lovingly call them my all y'all letters so hey all y'all take note of this because all y'all need to hear this this is important so you can you can make note of that too and say these are, these are for all y'all and, and uh, for you know for our sake this morning we can just we'll, we'll call them that so this is for everybody this is for everybody that was saying they believe in, in Jesus and uh, so, kind of a more general audience. Um, some delineation between whether it is for Jews or Gentiles. Uh, Paul usually dealt with specific situations. General epistles usually dealt with broader questions about Christian life, um, problems that were happening in the in the in the world around them. Uh, Paul dealt with the doctrine of salvation in uh, its means and applications. So this is important. So. Writers like like John, like the Gospel of John, and, and Paul, they would write about the means of our salvation. And we'll dive in when we talk about James here. James was really dealing with the proof of our salvation, whether or not those that are professing faith possess faith. Because false teaching was this big theme going through everything. Because there was a lot of people saying a lot of things in the name of God or faith, or maybe either an, a, a different faith, and it's no different than today. I mean, how many times do you have to just turn on the TV and you hear things that are being done in the name of God and you wrestle and go, no, no, no. That is not the God I believe in. That is not the God that we see in the Bible that saved us by grace, grace through faith That has boundless love that doesn't promote hate. And so this was the kind of stuff that was already starting to happen. Uh, so the, the, the Roman Empire at the time, when, when Paul was dispersing his letters to the churches, I wouldn't say that they were that the Christian churches were looked upon favorably by the government, but they were tolerated. It was like, hey, as long as you are not posing any kind of political threat to the throne, just don't make a lot of noise and just do your thing. That's fine. Whatever. So Paul was able, you know, he was able to travel. He was able to, to proselytize. He was able to, you know, set up, start churches and meet in people's homes and and, and kind of with a little bit of freedom, roam about. And it wasn't until, uh, and it didn't take long, we're only talking 20 years or so, before Nero takes the throne in Rome. And pretty rapidly, uh, Rome began to fall apart poverty uh, crime it literally says that the city was burning so there's homelessness and poverty and just the overall destruction going on and Nero needed a scapegoat so who did he choose to blame well it's those dang Christians if they weren't here Rome would be thriving so he blames the Christians puts a target on their back and starts to turn everybody, everybody the citizens of Rome against them as well as a political target against them, to saying they are a threat now to the throne because they are teaching and preaching about a king, about the one that's victorious. When Rome was doing fine, they didn't care. But all of a sudden, Rome's struggling, and now they care. So they're getting dispersed. They're getting kicked out of their homes. They're getting kicked out of the city. They're being dispersed all through Asia Minor. And so these general letters, part of the reason why they're general is because they're all over they're spread throughout uh, the nation, many nations, and they're being persecuted. So you enter suffering into the conversation of these churches, these Christians that are trying to follow Christ. So, you know, I mean I mean we can't relate to that at all. I mean, I can't imagine what it would have been like to have been to have a a, a con- Confusing and fearful political climate, or uh, you know, social economic environment that wasn't always favorable to my core beliefs of who I say I believe in. I mean, I can't imagine, right? This is just as applicable today. I mean, it's, I mean, specifically today, we are in this political season that is like, what is going on? <laughs> And yet, we'll talk a little bit later about saying, well, if that's our hope, then well, then yeah, it's, it looks bleak. So here, they're needing to be reminded that whatever the government's doing, whatever the economy's doing, go back to the truth, go back to the source of what you first heard and what you first learned. So these general epistles were, kind of, were written in this time where people were starting to doubt people starting to be fearful of their lives because they say they believe in Jesus. So they definitely took on a different tone with how uh, they were written and to who they were written. So let's dive into into, into James. Uh, So James, he really leans on faith and works. He was writing to persecuted uh, Christians. Uh, His main focus was to, to expose hypocrisy uh, to correct behavior. Uh, and James was written early. So, this was when the persecution was just starting. By the time we get to Peter, that's when it's in full force. So, right now, we're starting to see some of these things. So, that's why James keeps it pretty black and white. Say, so like, no, no, no. Stay true. Keep doing this. Uh, his main theme is godly behavior and obedience to God's word. And uh, he wrote extensively about this relationship between faith and works. Uh, Which, admittedly, can cause confusion, and has caused confusion, in Christian circles today. I mean, how many of you have ever been privy to a conversation about uh, the whole, you know, saved by grace, saved by works? Is it both? Is it one or the other? Is it, you know, how does that really, how does that work? You read James, and he says, faith without works is dead. And you read, you know, again, the letters of Paul, and of John that promote a message that says "There's nothing that you can do that can earn your salvation, so a little side comment about this i uh I got to speak uh to the the college age ministry the first time they gathered um this summer and and i I posed them with this question is these college kids, I posed them with this question, I said, if we're, if we're going to really stand up and defend something, we're going to stand up and say, this is what I'm going to fight for, should we defend what we believe, or should we defend what we do? You know, and you can see them kind of scratching their heads, like, well, um, I don't know, and you know, somebody said, like, well, I know that there's nothing that we can, you know, do, there's no works that will earn our salvation, and I said, oh, so it's about eternity, and so, admittedly, I was setting them up for a trap. I totally was messing with their heads and setting them up for a trap because uh, there was no... There, those, are, those are two different conversations that so easily we get confused and we blend them together and we turn them into a, 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 an equation for eternity, which was not the way it was supposed to work because I can't decide anybody's eternity. Salvation and heaven or hell is totally up to God. That's not my decision. What Paul and John reinforce time and time again is the means of our salvation, which is through Jesus Christ, through faith, by grace, in him and in him alone. No one comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus, right? James uh, and then, and then uh, in 1 John gets reinforced as, forced as well saying, these are the proof of your salvation. We get hung up sometimes because we try to put an equal sign between works and salvation. And that's not the way it is at all. It's saying, man, Jesus alone saves. Jesus alone promises the hope of eternity. It is through faith that he is the means of our salvation. The evidence, the proof of that is displayed in what we do. Amen? So I set those kids up for a trap, and then I never really resolved it. I just kind of left it open for them. But hopefully they're, you know, learning, because we got onto some other topics. So James is talking about perseverance through trials, faith in deeds, taming of the tongue, submitting to God, faithful prayer, all really crucial stuff to these, these Christians that have just been introduced to suffering. And then we see this continue in 1 Peter So by now, Peter is now writing to Jews and Gentiles. He's writing to a group of believers that are scattered all throughout Asia Minor. And the persecution is intense. The persecution is now uh, really, really rough. He encourages them. That Jesus is the victory, to live victoriously in the midst of suffering and amidst this persecution. Because now they've got a political climate that is hostile against them. They've got religious, uh, you know, uh, other religions that are hostile and violent against them. They have to disperse and meet in homes and meet privately in order to be reminded of all this. And again, it's like, if we read this with the lens of ancient history, we, we lose uh, sight of how much God is active today and working on our behalf amongst the same issues and same battles that they were fighting back then. Thursday morning, when we met at Kavarna, Damien told me about the... Uh, the, the priest that was murdered in France. And obviously, we've been hearing so many stories of terrorism like this, but for whatever reason, oh, that got me. It just hurt. Partly because of the brutality and the gruesomeness of it that on display in front of this this man's parish. Uh, and Partly because he was 85 years old. He'd been serving his community in a pastoral position for so long. And because of religious zealot from another religion that was hostile towards his, he lost his life. It just seems wrong. So again, it's like we have to read these letters that were written to Christians back then through the lens of this is appropriate and applicable today. Because otherwise stories like that start to gain uh, a louder voice in what's true and what's not than they need to be. We need to be reminded of the hope, the hope of Jesus. As Peter was trying to tell his uh, fellow believers to endure through suffering. To be encouraged to love in the midst of persecution like that. To be humble and cast all their anxieties on God because of His great love and care for us. I've heard that verse several times before cast your anxieties on God because He cares for you. You know, you may have heard that too. But again, this is one of those things where as I was preparing for this message and I was reading that and I kind of put myself in context, that had to have been a hopeful and a fearful challenge because, you know, there's a target on my back, again, politically as well as in the civil circles as well. And I'm supposed to cast my worry when I walk down the street on God everything in me would want to take care of myself. I'd want to protect myself. And you can see how that can then start to alter the way I speak about what I believe. You know, and and the irony of Peter being the one writing this to everybody, because he's the one that denied Jesus three times after Jesus, after he professed his undying faith and said, I will never deny you. He turns right around at the, before the crucifixion of Jesus and denies Jesus three times. Now here, he's the one saying, I know you're going to get persecuted. I know it's hard. I know it's suffering. I know you're going to face rejection. I faced it too. But stand firm. Hold true to the truth of, of, of what Jesus says. And then he continues this in Second Peter. And in Second Peter, uh, he's very, very, very old. <laughs> and so he's writing with a a sense of urgency to remind people that Jesus is our victory. Jesus is victorious. Live victoriously because Jesus is, is our victory. Reminding people of the hope of Christ. And I, and I put on Peter's deathbed just so that I could be reminded of the time frame. I don't know that he was actually on his deathbed, like he was dying. Those were his last breaths but it was his last like here we go this is all i got and figured these are the people that were walking with jesus that heard straight from him these are some of the last people alive to be able to cast on the you know one degree of separation from jesus and so we're, we're again passing the torch so that there's going to be more uh, believers that carry on this. And then he ends, Second Peter, just the reminder that Jesus is coming back. Endure suffering. Cling to hope. Because Jesus is coming back. So we get into, into 1 John here. And this is where you see him trying to really tackle head-on this idea of Gnosticism. So we talked a little bit about that before, but if you need a refresher, Gnosticism was this way of thinking, this philosophy of life that said, well, well, first it started with people saying, well, Jesus didn't really die. I mean, he, he just ascended into heaven because he's not really human. I mean, a human, if he was human, he just would have died. So Jesus, is, he's, all, he's, he's a spirit, And so he just went back up to heaven to be with spirit. The spirit of Jesus is what we really are about. And so the spirit is what we need to be focused on. The flesh is bad. Spirit is everything. And so we'll do terrible things to our flesh in order to really create that separation between spirit and flesh. So they subjected themselves to... Gluttony, to orgies, to everything that fed the flesh. Because they said, that's just the flesh. That's the evil stuff. Let it be evil. We're more concerned about spirit. So, you know, crazy way of thinking. But this is infiltrating the church. This is getting in. And people are starting to go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's good stuff. And, and so first in First John, John's kind of saying, no, no, no. Word of life, and he's and this was kind of introduced by some of the some, by the Gentiles, and so he's kind of writing right back to the Gentiles and saying, "Nope, Christ is our advocate, obedience and love, uh, the need for sound doctrine, and we will overcome the world. We will overcome those things in Jesus, not through participating in them." It's kind of like that's crazy. Like, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? You're hurting yourself. You're hurting people. You're hurting the church. We need to be, uh, we need to be better than that. We need to be reminded that it's in Jesus that we have our victory, and in His human life, death, and resurrection to be with the Father. So, He's bringing us back to to truth. And in 2 John. Uh, It's written to the chosen lady and her children, which is most likely a church. So this we kind of swing back to like he probably was, There's a specific congregation and most likely his congregation that he was trying to write to, uh, to just offer some, uh, some encouragement. And one of the other themes in 1 John that carries over into 2 John is this idea of certainty. However many times if you read through 1 John, it says, this is how we know. Because he's trying to, again, combat this thinking that's entering in. He's trying to offer encouragement to Christians that are being persecuted. And giving them some hope and some certainty of this truth of Jesus Christ. And so he says things like, this is how we know we are his children. This is how we know we are in the light. This is how we know that we are part of the church. This is how we know we are saved. He says that several times throughout 1 John. And so this carries over into into 2 John as well. And, uh, and again, similar thoughts. And it was probably written about the same time as 1 John. And he just writes about remaining faithful to the fundamentals. You know, I mean, we've had a coach, you know, that fundamentals, fundamentals, get back to basics, fundamentals, those win games. Same kind of thing. He's saying stick to the truth that you heard. Don't let this other stuff sway you from that. And then 3 John is written to a guy named Gaius. I'm not sure how to say it exactly. Um, Gaius was probably just like an an elder or somebody that was involved in his church, just a leader, a leader in the church. So he singled this guy out just to say, hey, help me out here. Help me out with this message that I'm trying to get across to everybody. And specifically, there is this kind of funny thing going on. And I think that they were, uh, especially Gaius here, he was, um, uh, he was boarding up his house and not letting anybody in, which to some degree was good because John was saying like, hey, you still got to be hospitable though. Be cautious because there's a lot of teachers that are coming in in the name of Christ that aren't teaching Christ. Don't let them into your house. Because they're causing destruction in the church. But there's other people that are coming that are teaching the truth of Christ is. Let them in. I guess he was letting he was cutting everybody off. He was he wasn't being hospitable to anybody. So he was saying, Be hospitable. Let people in. We're supposed to be growing and teaching and sharing this hope and this faith that we have. So don't cut them off. But be cautious. Be wary. Be mindful of the things that they're hearing. This whole again, proof of salvation. Not trying to judge where they're going, but just the proof of their salvation uh, based off of the things that they're, they're saying and that they're doing. So welcome ministers of the truth. Be wary of those that are, that are not. So Jude. here's I found this to be so uh, <laughs> endearing. Is, it sounds weird, but James and Jude were the half-brothers of Jesus. So James and Jude, their mom and dad, was Mary and Joseph. So they they literally grew up with Jesus. And you know what? They didn't believe in him. It wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that they said, truly, this is the Son of God. They didn't believe in him. His whole earthly ministry, they said, I, I don't... I don't know about this guy. I saw him play baseball. He was bad. <laughs> it's almost like they were too close because they literally grew up with him. And it wasn't until this, this you know, miraculous victory over death that they finally said, he's the real deal. He wasn't kidding. So there's this sense of urgency that you feel in, in Jude that he's writing to Jewish Christians, because again, those are who he grew up with. He's writing to Jewish Christians to contend for the faith. Now, again, I'm purely gonna just speculate here. I'm sure that there, there's many of you that might have come to a relationship with Jesus very late in your life. And some of you, because I've talked to some of you about this, where there's this feeling of, I wasted so much time. You know, and and not that it should be about shame and regret, but you realize, oh, had I known (laughs) when I was younger, I would have done things differently. And purely speculation here, I think Jude had a little bit of that feeling. Because he's writing to, like, fight for the faith, contend for this, because he's like, I spent so much time denying him. I spent so much time doubting him, going, yeah, you know, we shared a bunk bed Gosh, and you're supposed to be my hope for heaven? Really? <laughs> and he's like, so now he's coming to this place of saying, contempt for the faith. This is real. This is important. This is, this is essential. And it's especially to his fellow Jewish Christians to say, He's the Messiah, He's the one. So there's a whole lot there and a whole lot more that we could have gone into. And Troy posed this question last week, uh, coming off of Paul's letters, because Paul was so really was keening into the way we think is important, because what we think about God is going to affect the way uh, we live, and so that reflects who we really are. So now I'm going to pose a very similar thought, but because of the situation of um, you know entered persecution entered this whole idea of proof and means of our salvation. Uh, And based off these general letters, we're going to put it this way. What we do with what we hear reflects who we really trust. Let me say that again. What we do with what we hear reflects who we really trust. And this is true of... Um, in, in your theological thinking this is true in your relational and emotional thinking because we all will hear voices in our head that tell us things about ourselves that might either incur shame or worthlessness and we have to be reminded of the truth of what God says and so if I start to act based off of that lie that I hear Who is it that I'm trusting? Trusting that voice, trusting that lie, making that be the thing that then dictates my behavior. Whereas James and Peter and John were saying, you've gotta be living based off of the truth of what Jesus says, not what the Gnostics are saying, not what the Judaizers are saying, not what the politicians are saying. But the truth of what Jesus says, that is who we should be trusting. And that's what we should be doing something about because we've heard the truth. And so, as we get ready to go to to communion right now, I want to just ask you uh, this question. Oh, sorry, I was going to read this passage. So in James, and I've heard this passage several times before. But again, coming off of this whole thought of what we do with what we hear reflects who we really trust, I read it a little bit differently. So do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, because I can hear things all day long, and I might actually convince myself that I get it and understand it. And, and you know, if, uh, if I just simply say, like, oh, yeah, it's, it's super important to give to the poor. Sure, absolutely. But I never do anything. James is saying, you're lying to yourself. Your heart hasn't changed, your life hasn't changed, your thinking hasn't changed. So don't deceive yourself, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself immediately goes away and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, This is one of those things where, again, I've been a Christian a long time, but it wasn't until I was preparing for this message that I heard this verse differently. Because I've read this verse before, and I immediately jump to the blessed in what they do, and I say, I want that. I want the blessing of what they do. How can I get that? And so then I go, okay, so I want to make sure that I do what it says. I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to say the right things. I'm going to think the right, I'm going to sing the right songs. I'm going to try to be the right kind of person that every other Christian thinks I should be so that I can somehow feel blessed. And that's not what James is saying at all. He's starting with this foundation of saying, when we trust Christ, when we trust Jesus, he's the one that gives us blessing because we will be acting out and living out of that trust in him. So, It's not this thing that I have to manufacture or conjure up or, uh, you know, try to perform in order to self-make a blessing. I have to say, well, if I'm trusting Jesus that what he says is true, that what he says of me is, is true, that what he says of my future is true, that whatever happens in my life and whatever may take my life won't have the victory because my victory is in him. My victory is over death because I've got the assurance of salvation. I've got the hope of heaven. I've got eternity with him. How am I going to live now that reflects that? Amen? Yeah. So where is your trust today? Is your trust in your job? Is your trust... In the government? Is your trust in the economy? Is your your trust in money? Is your trust in your spouse? Or in your kids? Or in your family? Or is your trust in yourself? And, And again, I say that not to shame or to make you feel bad about those thoughts because we're not the first ones that have thought that again you read these letters and people were already starting to shift their trust and uh, the writers of these letters kept saying yes okay I know but come back to to Jesus come back to let him be the one that gives you hope first to be honest about that I know I I, I wander all over the map with what I put my trust in That's why when we gather like this, it's important. It's not just like a spiritual feel-good. Because I need to be reminded of Jesus. I need to be reminded he's my source of trust. So as you go to the communion tables, I would encourage you to bring that thing that you know you're putting your trust in over him and just saying, God, I'm putting my trust in you and not in this thing anymore. And as you remember the life, the death, the resurrection, the promise, and the hope of Jesus, that you can walk away from here saying, Jesus, I put my trust in you. Let what I do be a reflection of that trust. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gathering. Thank you for what we get to do every week. Uh, God, forgive me for not putting my trust in you. Uh, Forgive me for putting my trust in things, putting my trust in people, putting my trust in money. Uh, Help me to put my trust in you. And God, let that be the thing that drives the way I act, the way I enter space, the way I enter relationships. So make that true of us, God. We trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.